Good morning. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, I, um, I am very much on a project to make sure that we celebrate the 12 days of Christmas throughout the 12 days of Christmas. So we are, we are still celebrating Christmas, still um, basking in the light of Bethlehem until January 6th, which is the Epiphany. Uh, you may be wondering why I am wearing um, these, these garments. I'd like to thank Peggy Efert for wardrobe help. Last week, Pastor Doug said that he shared Joseph's story and that I would be sharing Mary's story. So I borrowed Peggy's Mary costume, and so I'm going to be sharing the story from Mary's perspective. Also, I received a bit of an unwanted Christmas gift in the, the, the thing that's going around for everybody. It's, it's, it's run its course, except I still don't have my voice or my energy back. So if I grab my cup of water and take a sip, you'll know that's why, even though I'm pretty sure Mary wouldn't have had her purple, um, her purple thermos. But who knows? Our scripture reading this, this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 2. I invite you to turn in your pew Bibles if you'd like. Sharing the story of the Magi, the wise men. Thank you, thank you again to Christina Norville for helping lead worship this morning while Pastor Doug and Pastor Hope are both away um, enjoying some time off with their families. And so we're grateful for that. Hear the word of the Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born, King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, we thank you for your good news. 
that does not get old, but is new with every passing day. Speak to us again the hope of that child of Bethlehem. And may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of each and every heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You'd think I would remember certain things, but my memory is not quite what it used to be when I was 14. Ah, to be 14 again. I was 14, you know. You always think of me as older, but I was just a little girl, basically, although I would have hated it if you would have told me that at the time. I was so grown up, so ready to see the world. But I don't remember the same as I used to. Over the years, I've tried to remember what I was doing exactly when that messenger of God came to me. Was I washing the dishes? Did I drop the cup that I was washing and let it shatter on the ground into a hundred pieces? Was I taking the sheets down from the line where they'd been airing out, getting ready to make the beds? Or was I lying in bed just staring up at the ceiling, daydreaming about being anywhere, anywhere but Nazareth? I can't remember exactly what I was doing when heaven broke in. Just that those angels Angels are not what your kids dress up as in their Christmas plays. I just have to say that. Christmas, such a strange thing that there is a word, that there's a whole industry out of that night that I gave birth to that baby in that barn. I've heard that there are pageants, that there's these whole productions in which little girls curl their hair, in which they wear satin dresses and sing angel songs. But let me tell you, he was not cute, he did not have a tinsel halo, and he had no sausage curls. He was terrifying, Gabriel. Angels are. That's why their intro line is always, fear not, because you were going to fear. He had red eyes. He glowed like the sun. I guess it would be less cute if you dressed your kids up like that. Over a cup of tea at the breakfast table weeks later, Joseph would tell me that he had seen an angel too. An angel was what made him believe. Although I teased him, Joseph, yours was just an angel in a dream. Mine was an angel in real life. I guess God knew that I could take it, even though you couldn't. Angels. Who even thought? Was he different? People would always ask me. Was Jesus different than a regular baby? I don't know what a regular baby is. I didn't have much to compare him to, though, although people tell me that every baby is different in its own way. He was my oldest, after all. I remember the first time I saw, I felt him move, the first time he kicked my oldest. I was 14, so grown up. 14 if I was a day. I love the way that they wrote it down later. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's really nice. It makes me sound great. But doesn't every mother do that? Doesn't every mother treasure everything and ponder all of those small things in her heart? Don't all of us take the first lock of little baby hair that's cut, make an imprint of the tiny foot in the clay, remember the first word that's said? But I did treasure those things. I never thought anything like that could happen to me. I didn't quite know what it meant to be the mother of the Son of God. I still don't really know, if I'm honest. But I treasured it. 
I pondered it. I asked myself over and over this question. Who is God? Who, what is the kind of God that would do this? What do I know about God now that I didn't know before? You see, every experience will teach you something different about God. God never changes. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. But your understanding of God does. You understand God a little bit better with every experience, with every year. You know God just a little bit more. It's like when it's a cloudy sky and then the wind blows away the storm clouds and you see it there, clear blue. And you thought, was that like that all along? And so, 14, and a virgin and pregnant, I learned this about God, that God is not the God of the rich and the mighty. God doesn't play favorites, I learned. And if God does play favorites, he plays favorites towards the poor no-name girl in Galilee. I wrote a song about it. It's sort of what the women of my people do. We are singers. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, the prophet. Hannah had a baby after undergoing so many years of infertility. And so she wrote a song. It's kind of famous. Miriam, the sister of Moses, who watched God open up the Red Sea to bring the people out of that horrible, horrible land of Egypt. Miriam wrote a song. The scripture says that Miriam even sang and danced with her tambourine. And I say, you've got to love a woman who runs away from slavery with like one day's notice and still remembers to bring her tambourine. I don't know if my song's as great as theirs, but this is the way it went. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. It didn't exactly go myrrh on the charts, but it's not a bad song, if I do say so myself. How did I know God then? I had heard all these stories about God, the stories of my people. I had sang God's praises. But now God was someone else. God was the mighty one. God was the one who brings down the powerful people and lift up the hungry, homeless peasants. God was the one who sends away the rich and sets a banquet table for people whose hunger gnaws through their stomachs. God was the God who turned things upside down. God was the God who saw me. I'd like to clear up a couple of misconceptions. One, I did not have blue eyes and blonde hair. Two, I did not want a drummer boy, little or otherwise, to wake up my baby who had finally gotten to sleep. It's, you know how hard it is to get a baby to sleep with all these animals around? Three, don't let anyone tell you it was a silent night. The little Lord Jesus made plenty of crying. 
He was a real human baby after all. He wasn't some angel. I kept looking at him, holding him, trying to decide if he looked different than a regular baby. What was I expecting? A halo? A glowing spotlight on the kid? Every child is a miracle. But this one was even more so. The son of God. Somehow, in my arms, given to me to raise. We called him the name that the terrifying, glowing, red-eyed angel told us to call him. Jesus, who would save his people from their sins. And then that question came back to me in my ponderings. Who is God? Who was God to us then? God was someone who put out a press release to the shepherds, those poor workers who were out in the field working the night shift. God was someone we could not comprehend, and yet was someone who was small enough for us to hold. God was not ashamed to be born as a tiny child in a barn. God was just like any one of us now, a baby who kept me up all night with his crying until Joseph held him so that I could get some sleep. God was Emmanuel, God with us. And then at the end of this whole crazy thing, there was another angel, another terrifying glowing being with red eyes and crazy hair telling us to run. I don't know about you, but I had 14 years of no angels, and then it was angels, angels everywhere. It's a surplus of angels. Here's the thing about mamas. We don't run unless someone tells us to, till we have to. You don't travel when you're pregnant with a kid, especially nine months pregnant, and you do not travel when you have a toddler. Terrible twos, three natures, it is no joke. We had been huddling down in Bethlehem for a couple years in Joseph's ancestral land. Aside from that day when the shepherds ran in and told that story about the angels again, angels, so many angels, we had made a quiet little life, just the three of us. And when I treasured these things and pondered them in my heart, I wondered, did that even happen? That's kind of a crazy story. The angels and the shepherds, the visions. The little Lord Jesus had grown up a tiny bit. He had developed the unfortunate habit of flinging all of his milk and honey all over the walls and all over me and all over himself. I was about at the end of my rope, and I was thinking, son of God or not, you need to go down for a nap or I am going to lose it. And then, all of a sudden, someone warns me that these foreigners, on their camels, with thick accents, are coming to see my family. Astrologers, they were, dressed in silks and fabric that it would take a year of carpenter's salary to buy. They're not from around here. Someone whispered, they want to see your baby. Well, I don't know about you, but when a bunch of strangers from a foreign land come up riding camels, I don't necessarily want to have them see my baby. And baby Jesus had spit up his milk and honey all over his swaddling clothes again for the third time that day. And so this was not an excellent time for visitors. But if I've learned anything about God, it's that you say yes. You say yes, and you don't know exactly what wonderful thing will happen to you. I gasped when I saw them. 
I'd never seen anything like them, crowns and robes of such fine fabric, silk and purple linen. And they seemed like the sort of people that you should kneel down before, kings. But instead, they knelt down before the toddler with the spit up all over him. They said that they had been watching the skies, that they looked at the constellations every night, and then a couple of years ago, they saw it, that new star, that new star that was there. It was a portent, something amazing, the sign that a new era was about to dawn. They traveled days and months, hundreds of miles to see us, and they brought gifts, too. Strange gifts for a baby, I'll admit. Um, you could use a few extra swaddling clothes or maybe a couple nights of babysitting. You know, a gift card for some lamb from the butcher. But then the more I treasured these things, the more I pondered them over the years, I realized what was happening. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. This baby is going to drop this gold bar and bonk someone over the head with, this, with it, but it turns out that gold is a gift that you give to a king. That with that gift of gold, this strange astrologer on his camel from a foreign land is saying that this child will be a king in the line of David. Incense, or frankincense, but that's a whole lot of syllables for me. Incense is something that our priests use to anoint themselves. We mix it with oil to anoint a new priest who leads us in worship of God. And when you smell the sweet smell going up to the heavens, you know you're in the presence of something bigger than yourself. Incense told that little one that he was going to be the great high priest. And myrrh. That was possibly the most offensive gift to give to the baby, and I, I'm not even just saying that because I'm a bit sleep-deprived back then. Myrrh is an embalming spice, something you give to someone to prepare them for their death. I didn't understand it then, but I do now. It was just like the prophet Isaiah had written, because woman or not, I knew my Bible. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. His glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away. Your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. I had read it. I just never thought it would be so literal. I never thought it could happen to me. Things can change in your life in just a moment, in just a second. We knew that Herod was not the most even-keeled of kings, and I don't know if you can blame him when three well-dressed strangers 
with gold and frankincense and myrrh riding camels show up at your palace and start talking about a new king, a new heir, I guess you panic. If there was a new king, a new regime, that meant the end of Herod's dynasty. We'd known that Herod was not the most even-keeled of kings, but nobody thought he could be so cruel. I remember hearing the stories years after from mamas with sons who would have been Jesus' age, and we will not talk about that now. But let me tell you, fleeing to Egypt with a toddler is not the worst thing that can happen. Because, yes, Egypt. Egypt. Ugh, Egypt. The icing on the cake of this whole weird, miraculous affair filled with all of the angelic messengers was the fact that we were told to go to Egypt. Let me tell you, people do not go to Egypt. People run away from Egypt. Egypt is not a place you go to. It is a place you flee from. Egypt, in case you forgot, is the place where my people just sat down trying to make a peaceable life and then were slaves for hundreds of years. Make some bricks, build our pyramids, said the Egyptians. And then when finally God had had enough of that, he sent a man named Moses, Miriam the tambourine player, her brother, you know, um, to go to the king to say, let my people go. There were some frogs and some locusts and some darkness and all of that. You can read it. But we were free. That was the place that represented slavery, the place we never, never wanted to go, the place we never wanted to go back again. And yet, there is where we went. There is where we went and stayed for a couple of years until King Herod was gone, until it was safe to come back home. It seems like a strange place for God to go. God is a toddler boy with the gold and frankincense of myrrh, going to the last place that God should be. Let me tell you, I don't exactly know the going price for gold and frankincense and myrrh, but it'll sell pretty quickly when you need a room on the road. When you're packing up your Tupperwares full of milk and honey and pomegranates and lamb jerky. Where you go to where you never thought that you would have to go. And so, friends... Maybe you, like me, are a treasurer, a ponderer. Maybe you know what I've figured out over these years, that this story is not just for the children, that this story, this good news, is for the grown-ups, too. This story is for the people who have cried, the people who are far from home, the immigrant, the refugee, the sad, the confused, people just like us. This season is for the people who never thought they would have a vision or an angel given to them, and honestly, they could do without it. This season is for the people who just need everything to get back to normal. But I do have a question for you, maybe that you can ponder and treasure in your heart. Who is God to you? God never changes, but our understanding of God does. Like when the fog rolls away to show a clear blue sky, Is God the God who sees you, the mighty one, the God who heals, the God who rescues, the God who takes the whole world and flips it upside down? Is God the one that is near enough and close enough and tender enough to hold in your arms? Is he Jesus, the one who will save his people from his sins? Is he the God who travels on the road with you when you are going to a place you never thought you would have to go?
I pray that one thing that you will know, that he is what I know as my favorite name for him, Emmanuel, 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 God with us. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your good news, that you go with us on all the roads of our lives, that you meet us sometimes in angel messengers and sometimes in the ordinary words, in the ordinary songs, in the ordinary silences. Go with us the remainder of this Christmas season and help us to see you in a new way than we have ever seen you before. Amen.